Good day and welcome once again to your hopefully becoming favorite storytelling podcast, Tales from a Cult Insider. I am here once again, your host with the most, your chief storyteller and insider and cake eater, Jared Garrett. Today I had some pretty good cake. It's that Costco sheet cake. The I love Costco sheet cake. Let me, oh boy, I, I love it. I also love German chocolate cake in case you're wondering. Um, but the Costco sheet cake, the chocolate and the, and the vanilla, they're both delicious. So it was great. So let's get back on track here. I was born and raised in a cult, which many people haven't heard of. Um, what it is today is not a cult. It is best friends, animal society doing great, righteous work. Um, I think that they are just a, a fabulous organization doing very important things for animals and giving really thousands of people opportunities to volunteer, uh, to, and make themselves better people and make the world a better place for animals. But back many, many years ago, it was called the Process Church of the Final Judgment, and I was born and raised in it. Uh, For a little while, it was one of the more infamous cults in the UK, and later the United States, and that cult morphed many years later into Best Friends Animal Society after spending years focusing on animal rescue. I'm just here to tell you some stories about growing up in this kind of goofy commune religious cult thing. Uh, I'm not going to focus on like telling you linear stories from episode to episode. I'm just going to fo- grab stories from my past uh, and tell you a little bit what it was like growing up in this thing. One important note is that it did splinter off of Scientology, which I've mentioned in several other um, episodes. And I- I'm going to have an episode devoted to some of the more recognizable uh, artifacts uh, that remained in the cult after it splintered off of Scientology, and even after it morphed into a very vanilla, fairly harmless religious, uh, semi-religious doctrine and practice. Um, As I always say, your questions will be answered. You're welcome to ask. Find me on um, email, jared at jaredgarrett.com. Twitter, just find me at jaredgarrett there. I post really stupid tweets, and sometimes I get really angry about the world around a man, and I or we're all in, and I post some things that are political and later delete them. I do speaking engagements. Uh, they're very lighthearted, but also inspiring. And we focus on creativity and overcoming uh, obstacles. Um, friends, you're never, ever too far fallen. You're never, ever too far separated from your loved ones. There is always a place for you. There is always hope for you. There is always always a lifeline back. I promise, please never give up. This world is full of wonder and joy and magic and beauty. If you'd like to hear some of that and how I feel about the beauty and wonder and magic of stories, listen to episode, I think, six, Excelsior. Uh, I want to start off before we get into my topic of did we not have rent money, I want to answer a couple of questions from a listener who's also an old friend. Uh, let me grab these here. Let's see here. So he asked some fairly lengthy questions. This is an old friend named Austin. What's up, Austin? Austin, um, he does music under, I think, the name Static to the Sound. That's Static to the Sound. Check him out, I think, on iTunes at least. He asked if, well, he said he'd be interested to hear if there were any other kids around my age that felt the same way about the cult that I did. Uh, his impression, let me just read it right off of his question. It seems so far that most of them were okay with going with the flow of the cult life while growing up. 
Um, so that's his first question is, I, I would think that, uh, what was their experience if there was, if they felt the same way as me, um, in many time, in many ways, it appeared they did feel the same way as me. We would do, we would definitely have long venting sessions about our lives. Uh, we would in my novel beyond the cabin, I absolutely quoted some of those stories and some of those venting sessions, um, almost word for word, at least from my memory. Um, in the novel Beyond the Cabin, which is the novelization of my childhood, it's published. It's it's available on Amazon in print, audiobook, or or ebook. And I also um, share quite a few quite a few of those in in the memoir, which I haven't published. I'm seeking an agent for that one. There were venting sessions. There were um, sometimes there was just actually pretty informing and enlightening discussions where the older kids would talk about how things used to be maybe two or three years before or they would talk about their memories their earlier memories which were really different from our earlier memories because the cult really morphed quite a lot between um, the 60s and the early 70s to late 70s even Uh, and it was about I would think early 80s 81 or 82 that things started to settle into this fairly vanilla um, kind of semi-christian religious doctrine so um from what I'm, from my impression, yeah, there was a very shared experience for for many of us, but not all of us. There were kids who were having a a different experience, unique to themselves, um, and I think that some differences were in that they were being they had the opportunity to be raised closer to their parents, and partly because I think their parents were fairly important in the cult and ended up being branch leaders. Um, so Manuel. Uh, good man. I, I respect and, and, and love him very much. Um, he did get to spend a lot of his formative years near his parents uh, until around age 11 or 12 when he was sent over to um, to Dallas to join us in faith school. Um, and But until then, he'd been with his parents his whole life, as far as I know. Uh, same with um, Asta, or not Asta, Vanessa and Johanna, uh, delightful pseudo-sisters that I, I just love them. Uh, really inspiring uh, women. Uh, Johanna actually and I ended up in the same day job, instructional design. And um, they got to spend, as far as I know, the entirety of their childhood and uh, growing formative years until graduation even with their mother and father, who were the leaders of the Dallas branch. And there, so there are others like that. Uh, but there were also other kids who had it worse. Uh, some kids just seemed to be magnets for abuse uh, for, um, which does not excuse the abuse, by the way, but predators recognize a person who doesn't know how to defend themselves and they prey on them more. And so just, I think that there were a few, a few kids that did, did, did receive a little more of that crap at their hands. I don't know of any specific, um, sexual abuse, by the way, please don't say that I'm, I'm not trying to implicate or, uh, allege anything like that. I do know that there was physical abuse because I got some, and maybe we'll talk about that some another time. And there was, I mean, there was, uh, there was physical abuse as a policy and practice worth spanking, among other things. And there was also just getting the crap beaten out of you by angry, angry adults sometimes. So in general, I think most people were having a very similar experience, but we're all different inside. We all have different conversations. And we all react differently. Um, and we do have different influences that um, go beyond our, our nature, that are part of our nurture. Uh, but we do have a nature. Uh, and some of us, I think, are emotionally more resilient 
uh, than others, and and I don't know why. We all have a different path to, to walk in this life. But I may have mentioned some of the kids after I got out stayed, uh, which boggles my mind. I don't understand it. I, I am certain I will never fully understand that. I certainly don't think it's a problem. I don't disrespect it by any means. I just don't understand it. I, I My experience was so, so majorly negative um, with plenty of positives thrown in, of course, because there you can always find good. You can always find happiness, uh, even in the darkest of situations. Um, but it was so, for the ma ma majority part, bad that I was happy to leave it in my in my rearview mirror and then to tear the rearview mirror off, throw it on the ground and stomp on it until nothing could be seen from it again, ever again. Uh, the other question was from Austin real quick. I know we've kind of spent a lot of time on that one. Uh, we're already eight and a half minutes into this. Uh, he asked, what would have happened if you would have told one of the adults that you didn't believe in their ways and that you thought it was nonsense? I was always under the impression growing up that if I ever tried something like that, I would be marked for constant punishment as a troublemaker uh, and for somebody who needed to have his spirit broken. I never did that. One time I did tell my mother after I'd gotten out of the cult and um, that story will come. Uh, probably in about 10 more episodes, I think I'll be ready to talk about that one. Uh, be just because I think that there will be more context that's required for you to understand really the answer there. The reaction would have been bad. Very, very, very bad. It was like, um, it was as if the adults had set us up as enemies. Um, and so I saw them as enemies, like I mentioned about Lucia in the last episode, Dallas Angry Beans. Still the funniest title ever. And then he did ask another question. Was there any way your dad could have gotten you out of the cult earlier? I don't know. I know he did his best to be with me uh, and to try to guide my life. Um, but he was, his ability to do that was simply very minimized by the way the cult worked uh, and by the, the way the children were treated in the cult, as if we were essentially orphans uh, growing up in, in essentially an orphanage situation. So those are the answers I've got for you, Austin. Thank you so much for listening. Boy, it's, a, it's wonderful to hear that, that you're enjoying the stories. Uh, we're going to get into today's stories, and, and uh, it works well for us to be talking about the question, did we not have rent money, after answering in maybe too much depth, guys, I hope not, those two questions, or those three questions. This is a fairly precious title, guys. Uh, it's not, I mean, it is honest. I, I really don't know why we moved so much. But boy, guys, we really moved a lot, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the places we lived, and some of the weird, abrupt <laughs> moves that we experienced. I mean, I talked about moving, being, being uh, torn out of my fifth grade year at Vanderhoef Elementary in Arvada. Um, hey, Glenda, uh, didn't even hear about Golden so much back then. Um, but it uh, turns out I was growing up near where somebody who I know who lives just down the street uh, was growing up in Golden, uh, Colorado, which is apparently adjacent to Arvada. And in any case, um, being torn out of that to go to Dallas wasn't uh, a result of a move. Uh, it was a result of the cult deciding kids needed to all go to faith school over there. Uh, and that needs to be another episode, too, just kind of the ins and outs of faith school. I'll probably actually write that down right now so I don't forget it. Um, as, I as I tell stories, I come up with more ideas are kind of triggered for, for further uh, podcasts. I've got the next 10 uh, titles planned, but these are good things and good notes for me to take. 
Um, okay, so um, back to did we not have rent money? So I was born in Chicago. Um, yeah, a long time ago. I'm in my 40s. So um, born in Chicago, and that was a, a fairly long-term stop-off um, for the cult. But where were they before? Well, they started in Oxford, guys, England, um, and uh, spent some time there. I don't know how long. Um, you could probably Google the Process Church of the Final Judgment and get some information about that, but I don't think the timeline's ever been uh, made really clear to me uh, or to many others, although I, I bet my my dad would know fairly well. If I, if I quizzed him and took notes, I could probably come back to you with more accurate answers. In any case, they were in Oxford for a while, Due to circumstances, ended up leaving there, came to the U.S., uh, I think went down to Mexico soon after, um, or Canada, but and then Mexico or something, had their come-to-Jesus type, type of moment, is what they call it. Uh, it's, it's a weird one. Uh, they survived a t giant hurricane in Stuhl, I think it's called, X-T-U-L. And then, um, not sure where they went there, but they had stop-offs in New Orleans, but the New Orleans branch was closed before I was born, as far as I know. Certainly before I had any awareness of the cult around me. New Orleans was, was over, the New Orleans part chapter. Um, we, uh, my earliest memory is living in New York, which is where I was moved to before I was even one, after the chapter or branch in Chicago ended. I don't know why it ended. I don't know why we moved so much. I don't know if we didn't have rent money. Uh, did, did, did the cult, I, I, I speculate, I wonder if the cult um, was renting its houses and would be able to, you know, put together enough money to like as a deposit, um, and like first and last month's rent. I don't know. But then the, uh, coffee houses that they would open up like they did in Chicago, like they did in New Orleans. I don't know if they like, if they lost momentum, lost some steam, lost interest after, you know, kind of getting the first few people that they could get that would join and stay. I don't know, but it seemed like they'd go strong for a while and then things would fade and then we ended up moving. That is just my impression of it all. I don't know if that's really the case. I do know I was born in Chicago. Um, in fact, in the same hospital room as one of my peers um, who was wisely removed from the cult with his mother when she realized that this was not what she wanted to do. Uh, to her son and to herself, and so she left with him. So, good on you. Um, I believe that was Barbara that got out early on. In any case, so um, I was born in Chicago, but within a year, uh, we had moved to, to to New York, to to Man Manhattan, to the big Redstone Building uh, in downtown Manhattan, um, and I believe we had possession of the whole building. But again, I don't know if it was being rented. Uh, or if it was somehow owned. I doubt it was owned. Boy, I mean, Manhattan, even then, was probably very expensive. Um, and the cult was funding all of its efforts by sending people out to beg on the streets, asking for money uh, to support whatever charitable effort they were saying they were. I believe that there was some um, efforts being made for animal rescue already by then. I'm pretty sure that was from the start. Uh, there may have been some... I don't know. I don't know what else they were saying. Maybe there was some like, take care of the kids. Well, we were the kids and we weren't too that well taken care of. But what are you going to do? Um, but uh, here's a fun image for you to, t to put in your brain. Uh, imagine this cult, the Process Church. They've just moved to New York. They are renting or somehow 
taking living in a large uh, red stone building with several floors and the kids all um, live in one big room on one floor I think the third floor or second floor of this red stone building when I say live I mean that's really where we spent the majority of our time we were all very young I was three um, in my earliest memories from when I was three uh, we all slept in the same room we slept on um, like a blanket in some cases with a blanket over us uh, or sometimes a blanket with a sheet over us and in some cases there were some kind of older colorful uh, sleeping bags that we slept in uh, we made a pile of laundry in the corner and sometimes that pile of laundry became some some kid who woke up needed to go to the bathroom but terrified of being seen awake by a grumpy old a grumpy adult at night that they would go relieve themselves in the in the laundry um, pile uh, it smelled really bad in that pile I tell you what um, but and then picture this picture these uh, these fundraisers who uh, we used uh, the shorthand funder um, for them to describe what they were to name what they were they're dressed in these very heavy very heavy black clothes uh, black shirt black pants and a black actual actually black cloak and they had the long furry fuzzy you know soft hair that you would expect from the 60s and this was the 70s though um, and they they actually wore a silver pendant from their that dangled from their neck a silver kind of necklace and it was um, it, it had a pretty heavy-duty meaning it was some I don't think it was ever a goat I don't think it was ever a goat but they had like an iron cross type thing or an iron cross type base as the foundation for this interesting symbol that they'd made um, very very interesting stuff and they'd go out there and they'd ask people for money for whatever reason trying to convince them to give them money and sometimes I've heard when people would say no these funders would um, say some sort of litany against them uh, like a, an actual repeated phrase uh, with some religious implication against the person who refused to give them money that doesn't seem like a very good way to make money is all I'm saying but again I didn't I really don't know how they funded their operations I don't know how they paid rent I don't know how they were getting food except for I do know that in some cases they were getting food through charity uh, they would go they I shouldn't just say they we would go with some the adults in Manhattan um, and several other cities as I was growing up uh, to bakeries and um, convince them to give us some of their older uh, pastries and bread usually just the bread um, and we would um, crush cans at length we'd go collecting cans from like by knocking on people's doors and asking if they had any aluminum cans um, I remember doing that in New York uh, I think I, we did that in Virginia as well um, knocking on people's doors asking for asking for their aluminum cans we'd gather hundreds probably thousands of them into the garage of whatever house we were living in and we would smash them by like jumping on them um, and you can imagine the many different kinds of games and competitions uh, 25 30 30 plus kids would be doing in this very very cacophonous noisy garage uh, as we crushed these cans that we collected and those cans would be recycled and they'd get money back for them and that was pretty good we'd do the same thing with glass bottles sometimes and I have very clear memories of riding around in the back of a pickup in a nice um, residential area of some town on the East Coast big green trees with their leaves um, maple leaves and, and, and such oak leaves and uh, <laughs> being sent in like pairs or, or trios of kids I mean like I'm I'm four maybe five years old doing this going with these other kids another kid that I'd grown up with my whole life I didn't know any differently 
uh, Tim or Robin or somebody else, and we'd go knock on somebody's door, just some random person's door, and ask if they had any newspapers piled up somewhere that we could take and add to our fundraising efforts to help the kids or whatever like that. Um, I'm sure there was some spiel that the oldest kid was supposed to say. I was never the oldest kid. I never had to say it, but I carried plenty of newspaper uh, piles. Uh, we'd tie them up with this rough twine. We'd get them all into the garage, and we'd make these giant stacks, load them into the pickup truck, and then they'd go get recycled, and some money would get back. And so, I mean, I know that that was some of the more kind of back-end, uh, not at all shady in any way, uh, just kind of odd um, funding uh, methods. So there you go. Um, but again, I, I just can't imagine how they could keep up paying the rent. So that's what I always kind of pictured in my brain was why we kept moving. So, I mean, we went from New York City uh, to um, kind of eastern rural New York, a place called Narrowsburg, and uh, some other place around that time also that we named Angel Mountain that I'm pretty sure wasn't widely known as Angel Mountain. And I don't, even, I don't know if that was in New York or if that was in Virginia or Maryland somewhere. There was a D.C. moment for me. I mean, I remember driving into D.C. at the age of five and a half, six years old maybe. And just I just remember the city briefly. And um, we had we, we arrived there on the birthday of some one, one little kid. I'm not sure who it was. Very little kid, two or three years old, if that. And the, so they gave us a treat. And the treat was like the, the, the toughest end of a brownie pan. Like they'd scraped out the last few crumbs of a brownie pan and gave it to us. Uh, and that was just wonderful. Yeah, really good. Um, fun little anecdote about being in New York City uh, or wherever we were at the time when I turned five. When I turned five, my mother um, was, I guess, the point person for a birthday fe festival for me or, or presentation or party. I don't know. Birthdays were not a very big deal until much later in my life. Um, I was given a treat, no presents, but I was given a treat at the age of five for my five, five year birthday party. And the treat was extremely sweetened iced coffee, iced coffee. Guys, I took one taste of that overly sweetened, bitter, terrible stuff. And I never tasted coffee again. And to this day, Again, I'm in my 40s, so 39 years later, never again have I tasted coffee. The smell of it gives me a headache. I can't stand it. Um, and yes, so traumatized much? Yes. Uh, living in Seattle for two, two plus years? Um, triggered daily, guys. Daily by all the Starbucks. Guys, there are literally Starbucks on almost every corner in downtown Seattle. So back to the uh, did we not have rent money? Um, we just kept moving. There was even a period of time where we, we didn't have a place to live. Like we, we had to get out of wherever it was we were living kind of unexpectedly. Some people, um, were able to get in cars and pack those cars pretty full of all the things and go on something like, I think they called it an angel tour. But what it really meant was, I think, um, uh, basically, uh, driving blindly in some direction until they found some place that looked like it might be a likely place to set up a residence or a home of some kind, at least for a short period of time. They lasted, you know, a few weeks or a month. But there was a time that there was two or three weeks where most of the kids, uh, had to be at least 20 of us, maybe 25, and several adults camped, uh, like in camping areas uh, throughout somewhere in the Northeast there. 
um, Virginia or something, and maybe just not so northeast, maybe <clears throat> southeast, not too south. We never really got down too far. There was a branch in Georgia, Atlanta, for a little while, though. Uh, I passed through that for about 10 seconds. Um, but yeah, camping for three three weeks was a fascinating experience. There's a tree somewhere in that area that probably still has my DNA on it. I climbed it, got up pretty high, and um, slipped. Tried to hug my way to security. Uh, and in hugging the tree, left stomach skin and arm skin behind on the, on the trunk as I slid all the way down. It was painful. I remember the cold, sudden slashing pain on my stomach. Uh, we ate a lot of chili out of cans. Ooh, a lot of ch canned chili. And I still like canned chili, so there's that. Um, heated over the fire. Got really, really pretty good at uh, heating ca canned food over the fire. Um, I despised cream corn then. Still hate cream corn now. Uh, we, we wound up in Pennsylvania, a bunch of us, while others were, I think, ending up in Atlanta. Um, I love Pennsylvania. Boy, Quakertown was just wonderful. I've mentioned that in the last episode. Uh, and then by the time I left Quakertown, it seemed like something about the way the funding was being done had settled into something that actually worked pretty well. Uh, there seemed like there was a fairly stable source of income and they established several branches and that was the end of the kind of sudden moving, which is, I'm curious about uh, the reason why. I'm pretty sure I'm right about the reason why. Uh, suddenly we seemed to have rent money. But moving that many times, uh, as many times as I did by the time I was six, um, was because of, you know, what I think was a re financial reasons, was um, fascinating. Uh, I was in two or three preschools, uh, one or two different schools for first grade and kindergarten. Um, and by the time I left uh, Pennsylvania, I think I'd already been in five or seven different schools. Um, and, uh, I, I went to before, before I was torn out of Vanderhoof in fifth grade, I think Vanderhoof was my 10th school, uh, at that, by that, by that age. Um, and again, I'd been there for a year already before. Um, so yeah, we moved a lot and, uh, other reasons that we moved, it turns out were because, of some of the Scientology artifacts, uh, in that there's a there's a thing with the Scientology, and it turned out with this cult that parents really shouldn't be raising their kids. That that bond between parent and kid is is not um, conducive to the parents or the kids' personal, spiritual, or religious uh, growth, and so they really did, needed to sunder that bond, make sure it never really built, so that the kid or and parent could like become their own person or something that is terrible and is very bad for kids uh, but that is in fact what drove the cult to do what it did where um, sometimes kids would end up in the same branch as their parents and sometimes it was because the parents had a bit of pull and really wanted their kids with them um, and sometimes the kid would realize, oh, suddenly they had a parent in their branch. The parent had been transferred there. Uh, that was my case several times. Sometimes my dad would just show up in the branch. Um, not for long, a few weeks, a few months at the most. And then he'd move on to another branch. But that was my dad saying, I have to be near my son. Uh, this is not cool. My dad had come from a not great background with his with his parents. His dad particularly had been awful and abandoned his family. And he, he, he had been, he determined that he wouldn't do that. 
in as much as he could. Um, this cult absolutely hamstrung his abilities, um, and that's all you can say about it. There's, you can't. There, there's probably some blame that can be associated with him, but why? Why bother? He did his best. Uh, we all did our best. Um, I love him. I respect him and admire him for everything he he is. You know, he's he he is he has molded his own personal clay into into a person who is uh, graceful and kind and good. Um, despite uh, regretting a lot of his decisions for a lot of years. But that was the story of my moving. And when I moved to Dallas, that was it. That was the last time I moved. Uh, at least the second time I moved to Dallas to go to faith school. That was the last time I moved. Um, at least, like, to a branch. In Dallas, I moved from the Swiss house, the house, you know, called Swiss, to the house called Dixie. And then years later, f about five years later, we all moved to North Dallas, uh, the suburb called Richardson, to another house. So, yes, I lived in three different houses in one branch over seven years. Uh, but in all that time, I was going to the same school. The cults school, faith school, doing some interesting uh, morning rituals and then uh, having some very interesting classes sometimes. Uh, and that is bringing us to the 30-minute mark. So our episode is done. Um, I feel like this one might have rambled even more. But as I promised you listeners, this is going to be happening once a week now due to the unexpected on my part um, response. I, I did not expect uh, the listening numbers and the subscriber numbers to grow the way they have, but I'm going to tell you I'd like them to grow even more, man, because this is a lot of fun. I'm having fun telling these stories, and I'm loving getting these questions and hearing from people who are who are listening. So send me your questions. Reach out to me on Facebook or Twitter or, any, or email, uh, and guess what, guys? I have a memoir. It's really good. And I am trying to get an agent to represent me as I sell it to a big publisher. If you know somebody who's an agent who's real good, um, hey, hook us up, guys. That's our 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Stay thirsty. Next episode is called Why I Hate Hatchbacks. Talk to you again. Bye, guys.